Thank you for downloading Tube Flash Tales, original flash fiction inspired by London Underground and vintage and contemporary brooches. If you want to find out more, visit the Tube Flash website, but not before you've listened to this set of Tube Flash Tales. Beware de-fluffing! Baker Street Josephine and the Detective by Joanna Sterling At first, Josephine had suspected her pretty young dresser, Maxine. Who could have blamed her? They were such beautiful creations. Any girl might be tempted. But Maxine had beat her fists against the dressing room mirror and sobbed, protesting her innocence. A month later, three more exotic costumes went missing including her famous banana outfit. Something had to be done. Josephine's heels clacked on the bare boards as she mounted the steep, narrow stairs. Would this man be able to help? Miss Baker, I have been expecting you. A flamboyant sweep of his arm gestured her into the room. The pungent odour of tobacco tickled her nostrils. Ignoring the chair proffered, Josephine sat cross-legged on the ottoman. He paced up and down, bombarding her with questions, abruptly halting midstream to chew on his pipe. Outside, the London pea super curled and swirled around the corners of the window frame. Suddenly, he announced, A cab! And without waiting, ran down the stairs two at a time. Not wanting to be left behind, Josephine hitched up her skirt and followed him, delighted by the thrill of the chase. At the theatre, a small knot of people clung around the stage door, hoping for a glimpse of their glamorous idol. As usual, standing guard in his dark blue serge uniform was Constable Dorian. For the first time, Josephine noticed his delicate manicured hands, and, under the streetlight, the faintest traces of rouge and face powder just below his effeminate jawline. How did you know? she whispered. My dear Miss Baker, L, the end of his sentence, was lost in the swell of the growing crowd calling her name. The last she saw of him was a flash of an Inverness cape melting into the night. High Barnet A Knot of Bright Hair by Andrea Taroni I take out the brooch I had made for him. The snake seems ominous to me now. It slithers into my mind, bites and poisons it for I have not seen him in months. He has not followed me, only my instructions that he should not. His wife came to see me in the summer, when the sky was china blue and the garden laden with roses. She came trailing her legally consecrated children, and I gave in, not to her insistence, 
but to the sight of them. I moved back to the fields of high barnet that I once knew. They are far enough away from the squares of Belgravia for him to forget. There is nothing to distract my thoughts here, only the silence and the sky and the bare, black trees. Again, I have not slept. The bright red sunrise mirrors the streaks on my handkerchief. I shiver and burn. The fire went out hours ago, and I am too tired and weak to see to it. My eyes cloud. A shadow hovers. I am sure that he has come. He has found me. I knew he would. I set the table, cups, matching plates. I have the brooch. I am well. I run. I cough. I slump and fall. The pin sticks into the palm of my hand. A parcel. He unties the ribbons, opens out the paper. Inside, a perfect knot of hair, brown flecked with gold. An envelope, heavy cream parchment, black-edged. This brooch was bequeathed to you by... He falters. It cannot be her name. He picks up the brooch, a rust of blood on the pin. His knees, his head, everything crumples and swirls. He pricks his finger. He cries out. And then he sees his wife at the door, smiling. White Chapel Farewell Note by Laurence van der Noorde. I love my work. I own the magician's magic and uncanniness, the surgeon's artistry and dexterity, the butcher's rapaciousness. It's about skill, fearlessness, muscle, a sparkling eye, a shining knife. Be systematic. It's also about control. This is how it's done. Smack the chestbone to rob the heart of its breath. It quietens the voice. Use the sleeper hold, radius to trachea. She twitches and writhes, and when you lift... Her legs dance a maniac thrashing until muscles just flutter. The bicep applies torque to hold the dead weight, revealing the protruding white throat, pliant like an opened cockle. This odalisk moves me, her head tilted back as in a waltz. Look up close, admire the moist lip, the wonderful little depression over the labrum, and those downy cushions below the conchers. Then clip, clip, slice, 
casing rips, tendons recoil, muscles tear like a juicy fig. Undressed and skinned down, cavity emptied. The pale, sensitive ones, the fragile doves, only need a pinch of the heart to wane. I accompany them during their withering. I worm into the abyss of those black discs, down into their lambent beacon. I swallow the faint cry, oh, murder. These women are my flesh and blood. Their cries live somewhere inside me. We are as one. A frightful catena of slaughter, they say. It is true that each individual deliverance builds my personal theology. I am no ghoulish necrophile. You can show the cold meat. I prefer mine piping hot. This is my adieu. I let my artistic ardour take over. My last production should have been my masterpiece. Alas, it was a distasteful monstrosity. Yet I will be legend. Why? We are all Jack or Jill the Ripper. I am the violence latent in each one of you. Green Park A Walk in the Park by Mark Lewis the park was not green anymore, Doolin considered, as he stepped off the tube train. He headed eagerly for the exit, head full of excitement about the winter sales in the hundreds of shops in Retail Park. He didn't notice his feet being swept from under him until it was too late and he was flat on the grubby floor. You shoppers, shouted the homeless woman who tripped Doolin with her stick. Her clothes looked like they'd been expensive once, but were now stained and ragged at the edges. Her brooch, however, which depicted an elegant lady walking a dog, was golden, polished and shone. You may stare, she said. We used to walk our dog there, in Green Park, before dogs were extinct and before they paved over all the parks and built all the shops.
Andy, by Joe Curtis. Mum, don't stare. I'm not, dear, she said. God, but everyone was looking at the six-foot-five giant wading through the grey sludge of homebound commuters. The rain pulled at our feet as we clung to the spindly stem of my black umbrella, it shivering more than us in the wind. A Poundland Christmas present from a girlfriend, now ex, which had stubbornly refused to break. The same Christmas we'd got the letter, in a slanting hand, recognisably his own. Mum had gasped, then cried, then fainted, then had to have three cups of tea before we actually got to read the bloody thing. It said he was doing all right, said he was happy, said he wanted to see us, if we did. And I really did. So here I was, on a wet February night, stood outside the tube, waiting. More people looked up now at the figure walking towards the bright, heady beams of the station, traffic taillights illuminating his hulking arms and barrel chest. Puddles like distant lakes splashed at the foothills of his stride, and dark stubble lay beneath the pale foundation, plastered on his face like grass flattened under the white lines of the rugby pitches we used to stand beside, cheering. His red nail-polished fingers clung delicately to a wooden hanger held over his shoulder, upon which a plastic-sheeted blue dress curled in the wind like a flag. Remember, Mum, it's Anna now, not Andy. Terminal 4 In the Loop by Zoe Fairbairns Heathrow Terminal 4 has an unusual station. It's only got one platform, and all the trains go in the same direction, round a loop. It's used by airlines you've never heard of, flying to places you wouldn't want to go. Airport security tends to be more interested in who's arriving than who's already here, so, as long as you don't do anything to draw attention to yourself, they don't notice you. I wear a good jacket, polished shoes, tie. I've still got those things. I keep them in a mate's garden shed. His wife won't let me live there, but she doesn't mind me leaving my stuff in the shed. In the terminal cafe, a businessman is eating a sandwich. He only wants half. He puts his uneaten half in the bin with his coffee dregs. Cab drivers stand around with customers' names on cards. Saunders, Patel, Oluwalabumni. That's me, I say. I'm Mr Saunders. For a moment, he looks as if he might believe me. Well, why shouldn't he? I've got the jacket, I've got the shoes, I'm Mr Saunders. Not my Mr Saunders, you ain't. The cabbie waves at a passing security man. 
so now they know. I've got no ticket, no boarding pass, no right to be here. I'm barred. It's my own fault. What did I think that cabbie would do? Whisk me away to some grand house in the suburbs and a Mrs Saunders who says, Hello, darling. Had a good trip? I wouldn't know how to answer. I wouldn't know what to do. If I knew how to do that sort of thing, I'd be doing it, right? I'd be at home with my wife in the house, with the garden shed. I wouldn't be being marched onto a train on the underground loop to nowhere. You've been listening to a Tube Flash production. Beware Defluffing, read by Mena Bonsells, Tim Heffer and Keith Morris. If you enjoyed this download, why not visit the Tube Flash website, www.tubeflash.co.uk, where you'll find more underground tales to download and keep forever entirely free by following the iTunes link. <laughs>